people. Uh, but I hope that you've seen that we simply, that we, we love God and we love you. And we hope that this service will be a help to you. Matthew chapter number one. We are going to begin uh, studying the gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and it tells us about the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe if you're here today and you're exploring your faith, you're new to Christianity, uh, you're, you're wondering what is this all about, you are here at the perfect time because we're going to be studying the life of Jesus. And we'd love for you to continue to come back and explore what God's Word has to say about Jesus. And to get started with that, we're going to be studying for the next several weeks throughout the fall, a, a, we're going to be studying Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew 1, we are introduced to Jesus's family tree. We're introduced to Jesus's ancestry. And I don't know if that if you're one of those people that loves like Ancestor.com uh, or if that's something that is like uh, maybe it's not your thing. But uh, what I found is that whenever you read Matthew 1 and you look through this family tree of Jesus, a lot of people, because there's a lot of hard names to read and uh, because it's, it's just hard to pronounce and you will see me struggle uh, over the next several months. Uh, you'll see me struggle through a lot of these names. People kind of skim over it. But I've been studying this and preparing for what God has in store for us this fall. And what we find is that in this family tree of Jesus, there is life changing truth. So we're going to begin a series of messages that we're calling Family Tree, and we're going to be learning what Jesus' family teaches us about being in the family of God. So I hope that you'll continue to come back. And in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1, we are introduced to Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1, and you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible this morning. The Bible says this, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew introduces us to this person, Jesus. And in his introduction, there are three descriptors. There are three titles that Jesus is called when he introduces Jesus to us. And this, the introduction, what we're going to be looking at today, the descriptors, the titles that Jesus carries in this verse are Christ. Here's a hint. Christ isn't Jesus's last name. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Uh, the son of David and the son of Abraham. We're going to meet Jesus, and we're going to see how he changes our lives this morning. Let's pray, and we'll begin. Father, I want to thank you again for this time that we have together. Thank you for bringing every person who's here today. And Lord, I ask that you would bless them for being here. Would you now open our eyes to the truth of your word? Uh, would you be with me as I preach and as I teach your word? Would you fill me with your spirit and help me to say only what you want me to say? And Lord, I ask that you be with every person here today. I know that there are some uh, today who uh, don't know you, who maybe don't believe in you, and they're exploring what this is all about. Uh, for others, we've been following you for a long time. But Lord, I ask that as we begin this study of your life, may we see you for who you truly are. And we will we'll give you the glory and the thanks for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you can finish this statement with me? It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. If you were to ask, uh, oh, I just lost her name, Ella Fitzgerald. If you were to ask singer Ella Fitzgerald, she would absolutely agree with that statement. Ella Fitzgerald was a singer in the 1930s and the 1940s. And when she started her career uh, as a jazz singer, she was uh, an accomplished singer, she was respected, but 
uh, people only knew her within her field. Uh, she wasn't nationally known, she didn't have a lot of success, but all of that changed in 1958 after an introduction was made. One of her friends, the most famous actress in the world at the time, uh, a woman that you might have heard of named Marilyn Monroe, called, called this called a, a space in Hollywood, one of the fam most famous places in Hollywood where, where singers and actors and actresses got their start. And she called the manager and she said, I want you to have Ella Fitzgerald in to sing. If you have her in to sing, I will sit on the front row every night that she performs. The manager agreed and called in Ella Fitzgerald, had her in, and Marilyn Monroe sat on the front row. And because of all of the publicity and the press that came with that, Ella Fitzgerald went from being a, uh, a, a star who was known in her field to becoming one of the most famous musicians of her time. All of that happened because of an introduction. Today, as we start the study of the Gospel of Matthew, we are introduced, an introduction is made. Now, I'm going to start off by telling you that after this introduction, it won't make you uh, famous, it won't make you a celebrity, it certainly won't make you a millionaire, but this introduction is, I believe, is far more important because it will change your life and your eternity forever. And it's the introduction to Jesus. Matthew starts off his introduction to Jesus and who he is by these three terms that I pointed out. And for us to understand the significance of these terms, we have to know the context of what is going on in this book. Context is really, really important. And some of you know where I'm going with the idea of the importance of context. Uh, imagine with me for a moment that you heard me talking and you heard me say these words. Baby, you're so hot. All right, I see some of the looks on your faces. Some of you are saying, I need to get out of here. This pastor's weird. Uh, or, or he's whatever. I don't know what's wrong with him. I need to get out of here. Maybe he's showing his wife a little too much PDA. Uh, I don't know what it is, but using those words, I'm out of here. Context is important because you can think a lot of different things, but if you knew the context that I was talking to my 15-month-old who had a 103-degree temperature, then me using the words, baby, you're so hot, suddenly makes a lot more sense. Context is important. Matthew is writing to an audience of people, to a group of people called the Jews. That he's writing to a group of people called the Jews. And whenever we understand that he's writing to these Jewish people, then everything in this verse starts to fall into place. And it starts off with this introduction to Christ, to Christ. So today as we look, we're going to see Jesus Christ, and we're going to see that he's my, he's our deliverer. He's our deliverer. For the Jews, whenever they read this word Christ, they wouldn't read it like we read today, like a last name. You and I, when we read the word Christ, when we hear the word Christ, a lot of times we just automatically equate that with Jesus. But it would have been very different for the people that read this letter, that read this book for the first time. You see, they wouldn't have read it, Jesus Christ. They would have read it, and their minds would have been thinking, Jesus, the Meshiach, or Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah was the key figure, the most important figure in the Jewish culture. They were looking for this figure, this person called, that they called the Messiah. And in fact, they were looking for him 2,000 years ago, and the Jewish people are still looking for him today. If you're an Orthodox Jew, Orthodox Jews, they get together every Shabbat or every Saturday. And they gather together for their service and the reading of scripture. And they say a series of creeds. And one of the things that they say, the 12th creed that they say every single week that they get together is, I believe with a perfect faith in the coming 
of the Messiah. I believe with a perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And though he tarry his coming, daily I will look for him and I will wait for him. For the Jewish people, their life revolved around the coming of this person, the Messiah. Uh, it's hard for us to understand today because we don't we have a lot of instant gratification. Like we don't have to wait for a lot of things. Like whenever you're a teenager, maybe you're a teenager in here and you are waiting and you're looking forward to and you're longing for the day that you get your driver's license. Uh, I, that pales in comparison. But that's really the only time that we have to really wait for things. For the Jewish people, we get a little glimpse of the waiting and the longing that they experienced in Luke chapter 2. In Luke 2, we are introduced to two people, a man by the name of Simeon and a woman by the name of Anna. And both of these people were elderly people. We don't know how old Simeon was, but we're told that Anna was 84 years old. And Anna lived her life. Here's how she spent every day of her life. Every single day, she would wait at the temple. She would pray for the Messiah to come. She would look for the Messiah to come. And she would talk about the Messiah and when he would come. So that's what they lived their lives. This is a little glimpse, a little picture. It, uh, Simeon was the same way. There's a little picture. They were, every single day, they were looking and they were longing for the coming of this Messiah. So in Matthew 1, when Matthew writes to the Jewish people, he writes that this is the book of the generations. This is the family line. Let me introduce you to Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the one that you are looking for, the one that you are longing for. So whenever people read this, whether they believed it or not, this was a big claim. Why is this such a big claim? Because this word Messiah or Christ means the anointed one or the, or the deliverer, the deliverer. You see, what they were looking for, and really for all of their history, they were looking and they were longing for a deliverer because, to be frank, they always needed deliverance. Now, their story really starts, and it takes off in, in Egypt, where they are slaves in Egypt. And that happened about 3,500 years ago, where they were slaves in Egypt. And that's where their story starts, and they're looking for, they're praying for deliverance. And what you see, what you find throughout the Old Testament, throughout that story, is that they're constantly getting themselves into trouble. They're always getting into, they're always, other countries are coming in and, and taking them hostage and, and running their lives. And at this point, whenever this book was written, they were actually under the occupation of the Roman Empire. So whenever he's writing, they are longing for a deliverer to come to deliver them from the Roman Empire. And Matthew said, hey, the deliverer that you're looking for is here. This is him. But what we're going to find throughout the book of Matthew, throughout our study of Matthew, is that Jesus is here. Jesus arrived to do so much more than deliver one nation. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came. Jesus arrived. Jesus showed up for so much more than just uh, to, set, to deliver for a small period of time. Jesus came to save men's eternal souls. When we're, in, when we're introduced to him again later in the chapter, he's going to be revealed as Jesus, the one who came to save his people from their sins. He didn't come to deliver uh, one specific group of people for one small amount of time. Jesus came to deliver men's souls for eternity. So the question that we need to ask this morning is if Jesus is this deliverer, and he's not just this deliverer for one group of people, but he's the deliverer for all of mankind, why do I need a deliverer? Why do I need to deliver it? And the short answer, the one word answer, is because of sin. Because of sin. 
You see, throughout Scripture, we see the impact that sin has on the human soul. It starts off in Genesis 3. Uh, it starts off in Genesis 3 where the Bible tells us that mankind was created in the image of God. It's a beautiful story. It starts off in a place that regardless of how familiar you are with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this place, the Garden of Eden. It all starts off in this garden where God makes man and woman, and it says that he made them in his image, and he made them to be his partners, to be partners, to have rule over his creation, and to be his friend. That's why, that's why God created mankind. And God gave mankind a special identity as image bearers of the one true God. He made them for a relationship and to be his representatives. But in Genesis 3, mankind sins against God. They rebel against God when they eat of the tree of the fruit of the garden. Now, maybe some of you are familiar with that story, and you think the same thoughts that I think whenever I read that story. All right, they ate the fruit of a tree. What's the big deal? Uh, right now, I'm on, a, I'm on a keto diet. And uh, it's, it's been going pretty well for me, but I'm, I'm actually thinking about switching out of it because I was talking to my wife and I was telling her, I was like, it doesn't make sense. If you're not familiar with keto, I don't really have time to explain it this morning. But one of the things in keto is that you can't really eat fruit or there's a very limited amount of fruit that you can eat. So all day long, if I want to, I can eat pepperoni and cheese, which if you just want like a little, here's a little, um, uh, here's a little recipe for you. Um, from Chef David this morning. Uh, take pepperoni, sprinkle some cheese over top, put your oven to broil, broil it on 525 for like six or seven minutes. You're going to have like the perfect pepperoni and cheese chips uh, that you've ever had. Try it. It's amazing. You'll thank me later. Uh, so I don't know how I got that. Oh yeah, I can eat that all day long, but I can't eat an apple. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but that's the way it is in keto. So a lot of times when people think about, and we've had some conversations, some of us have had conversations about this. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, was he saying like, oh, you're on this special diet and you can't eat this fruit. Like, what's the big deal about eating? Uh, what's the big deal about eating the fruit? There's a fruit knowledge. Whenever you look at the story, here's what you find. That God gave them the ability to rule in this place. He said, you're going to have dominion. You're going to, have, you're, going to rule, you're going to rule in this garden under my leadership and under my authority and under my friendship and my, my, my fatherness, father, fatherliness, however that was supposed to be said. So you're going to rule under my authority. So while you rule, there's this one spot that's reserved for me. And in honoring my authority, this is the area that you're not, this is the area that you're not allowed. This is the fruit that you're not allowed to touch. This is the tree that you're not supposed to eat from. And in Genesis 3, whenever mankind decides to, to eat of that tree, it's not just like, oh, that looks good. I'm going to eat it. Although it did look good and they wanted to eat it. The decision that they made, and when you read the story, what you find is that their decision was, if I eat this, then I won't need God. If I eat this, then I get rid of God. If I eat this, then I'll know more than God. If I eat this, I can be my own God. And in that moment, in a, in a declaration of war, in a declaration of rebellion against God, they ate of the fruit of the tree for the motivation of, if I eat it, I won't need you. And that heart of rebellion was born into every single person thereafter. 
And even as I say it, I think that all of us, regardless of whether you believe this or not, all of us would acknowledge it to be true, that every single one of us have this resistance in our heart to the idea of God being able to rule my life. All of us have, all of us resist that. All of us, when we hear that, we think, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen to that. That was born in this moment. And, and because of sin, here's what happened. Because you were made in the image of God, because you were given like that purpose, whenever that declaration of war happened, there, the identity that God gave you became corrupted. The identity that God gave me became corrupted. I love the way that this uh, a song that I grew up listening to, the way that it said it is this, is that in my heart, there is a space that God was made to fill. And all of us live our lives trying to fill it with everything else except for God, and we always come up empty. We always come up empty. But Jesus came to deliver us from sin. That Our identity was corrupted. And Jesus came to restore the identity, the identity of God's image bearers in us, of being his, of being his children, of being in relationship with him. But the Bible says that it doesn't stop there. Sin doesn't stop there. It doesn't just corrupt our identity. Uh, it, it, uh, uh, it doesn't just corrupt our identity. It causes us to live in this rebellion against God. It causes us to live in this, this life of rebellion, of pushing away God. And you might say, you know what? I don't buy that. I don't, think, I don't think that every person is that way. And if you don't believe it, I will say this. I have a 15-month-old son. He is as cute as can be. Take him with you to a fancy restaurant, and you will see that every person is sinful. Every person is sinful. Uh, so, and I promise you, you will bring him back to me. You will bring him back to me. So Jesus came. We're all, we're all sinners. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible also teaches that because of our sin, that it corrupts our identity, it ruins our lives, everything that we touch, and then it says that it condemns our eternity. It condemns our eternity. The Bible says that the wages, the penalty for sin is death. And this death is described, this death is, is, is articulated later in Revelation where it says that death and hell were cast into a lake of fire. And, and this death is eternal separation from God. That's what the Bible teaches about sin. And so far, everything I've told you is bad news. It's bad news. In essence, what we're saying is that God is just and God is good and God is holy and we're not. And because of justice, my sin has to be, has to be punished. And that's all bad news. But this book that we're studying is called the Gospel of Matthew. And the word gospel literally means good news. So if everything I've told you is bad, then where does the new good news come in? And it comes in with the words, this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus came to rescue you, to save you from your sin. He came to forgive you. Hebrews says that he came. So he came to bring us to God. Remember in the garden, we declared rebellion against him. Jesus came to bring us back to God. Jesus came to forgive our sins. Jesus came to take us from being uh, the rebel of God, the enemy of God, to being his friend and his child. He took us from being spiritually dead and condemned to death to being alive because of Jesus. How did he do that? He did that through the cross. He did that through the cross. Jesus came, and we're going to see how he was born, and when Jesus was born, he lived on this earth a sinless, perfect life as a substitute for you and for me. He lived a perfect life. He who knew no sin and became sin for us. 
And whenever Jesus died on the cross, he, on that night, whenever he went to go die on the cross, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, he was, he was illegally tried at night. And he was falsely accused. And afterwards, he was, uh, he was brutally beaten by soldiers. And after he was brutally beaten by soldiers, he was hung on a cross. And it doesn't even stop there. You see, he didn't just, he wasn't just nailed to a cross. He wasn't just crucified. The word by which we get the word excruciating from. Uh, he was crucified. But the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And God poured out all justice, all justice and all wrath. He poured it out on the sin that was on Jesus. And he poured it out so that he so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be restored, so that sin could be paid for and your sin could be forgiven. Jesus is your deliverer. He's the deliverer for your soul. He's the only one who can forgive your sin. He's the only one who can give you an identity that actually matters and actually means something. Otherwise, we're just living for today and we're just living for ourselves and we're just living for this moment. But because of Jesus and because of his death and resurrection, because he came for you and for me, you and I can be restored and have the, our God-given identity given back to us because Jesus died for your sins. This is the gospel, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. This is the gospel that Christ died for what? For our sins, according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Jesus Christ is our deliverer. He's our deliverer. But then we also see as we, as we continue through this verse, not only is he introduced as a deliverer, but he's also introduced as the son of David. He's introduced as the son of David. So it leads us to ask this question, uh, why is it telling us that, that he's the son of David? Is it saying that David is his dad? And what you actually find when you read through is that, that David is not his dad. David is actually one of his ancestors. David goes back, like, uh, if I remember right, like 28 generations. So I can't say great, 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 great. We'll all get bored. But it goes back like 28 generations to David. Now, I found something because in my family, we do like history and we do like we do like ancestor ancestry.com. We found out my uh, my dad found out through ancestor.com that we're related to the explorer Daniel Boone. Uh, in like the 18, in the 18, going back to the 1800s. But I don't walk around saying, hi, I'm the great, 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 great nephew of Daniel Boone, the explorer. <laughs> so why is it saying Jesus is son of David? David was, again, remember context is important. David is, the, David was the, actually the second king of Israel. The first king, we don't have time to talk about it this morning. The first king, he wasn't a great guy. He gets removed, and David is set up as the king of Israel. And he is a very imperfect person. He made a lot of mistakes. And actually, in our series, we're going to look at those. We're actually going to look at those in a few weeks. But the Bible tells us that David was a person who was a man after God's own heart. He loved God. He had a relationship with God. And the Bible tells us that God made a promise to David. And the promise that God made to David was that through your descendants, you are going to have a son, you're going to have a descendant who sets up an eternal kingdom. He's going to set up an eternal kingdom. So whenever the Jewish people were looking for this Messiah, they were also looking for this son of David, this descendant of David who would set up a perfect kingdom, who would establish a perfect kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, the Bible tells us. So whenever Jesus is introduced, he's not just introduced as our deliverer, he's also introduced as king. 
He's also introduced as king. Why is that such a big deal? Why is that so important? Because kings are meant to rule. Kings are meant to reign. Kings are meant to be obeyed. Like that's what kings, that's what kings do. And if Jesus is introduced as the king, then he's established, what it's establishing is he has the right and rule, he has the right to rule and reign over, well, everything. Jesus said, all power, all authority is given unto me both in heaven and in earth. The Bible tells us that, that whenever Jesus came to earth, he, who, he, he was born, he was made a servant. Uh, but then it says that God also had highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is is Lord. Jesus is introduced as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, a few weeks ago, if you were in our last series, we saw in Revelation 4 how there is a heavenly throne where Jesus rules and reigns and all of creation is preparing to worship Jesus. So here we see that Jesus is not just our deliverer, but he is also our King. Why is that relevant? Why is that important? Because if Jesus is your King, if Jesus is my King, then that means that he has the right to rule and reign in my life. He has the right to rule and reign in my life. So if you are a follower of Jesus, let me ask you this question this morning. Are you living under the authority of your king? Are you living under the authority of your king? You see, if, if you start asking that question, like in my daily life, at my workplace, in my family, am I living like Jesus is my king? Am I living in obedience to him? If I'm living that, then that changes everything. That changes everything. You see, the Bible even tells us in Galatians what the fruit of living that out. Whenever I'm living in submission to the Spirit of God, whenever I'm living in submission to him, the fruit of that that comes out of me is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith. Uh, meekness, temperance, or self-control. And what it says is, hey, if I'm living under the authority and the leadership of Jesus Christ, then he's going to, that he's going to be flowing out of me, and that's going to flow out in all of my relationships. Is your, is your workplace, or is your, is your work, is it characterized by goodness? In your family, in your family, the way that you live, do you live under the, under the rulership of Jesus would it be defined by patience? Would it be defined by patience? I know in my house, sometimes, whenever my kids start fighting over, over magnet tiles, patience doesn't reign supreme. Is it ruled by kindness? The Bible says, be kind. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Are you living in bitterness? Are you living in bitterness and anger? Or are you living under the authority of Jesus and living in forgiveness? Listen, whenever Jesus rules and reigns in my life, then it affects every area of my life. So my question for you this morning is, are you living under the authority of King Jesus? But then we also see, again, this third title. He's the, he's the Christ. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of He's the son of Abraham. So again, here we see that it's even going, it's going back even further in Jesus's ancestral line. And Abraham is actually like, the, is the father of all of Israel. It all starts with him. Next week, we're going to look at the story that, we're going to look at the story of Abraham next Sunday. But Abraham is the one who kind of, who God 
who God befriends, who God calls, and all of the fam, all of this family, all of this family line gets started with Abraham. Now, why is that important? Why is that why is that that important? You see, whenever the Jewish people would have read this, that he was the son of Abraham, they would have said, "Hey, he's 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 part of our he's part of our tribe. He's part he's part of our family." They would have said this, hey, he is, he's one of us. He, he's a friend. He's a friend. He understands. He understands what I'm going through. He understands. He understands. The Bible says that we have not been, he has not been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. If they, everything that you have experienced, every pain, every pain, every hardship, every struggle that you've had, Jesus knows what you are going through. And it says that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. What we see here is that Jesus, he, whenever he's introduced to you and he's introduced to me, he's introduced as the one who delivers us from sin. He's, the, he's introduced as the one who has the right to rule and reign in our lives. And he's the one who actually who knows you, who loves you, who cares for you, and who wants a relationship with you. So understanding this introduction, this introduction to Jesus that Matthew gives, the question that we close with asking is, all right, so what's, what's the next step for me? What's the next step? And as I was thinking about this relationship, I thought about the, the most important relationship in my life. And it's my relationship uh, with that lady sitting back there on the back row, my wife, Adriana. And I was thinking back to, and I, I was thinking back to whenever I met her. So I was in college, my junior year of college, and I attended uh, a night class that went from nine o'clock at night to 11 o'clock at night. It was brutal. And on one particular night, I saw one of my friends, his name is Josh, uh, sitting up on the third row. And I was like, you know what? Right now, I'm going to go sit with Josh. And that was a special moment. Not because I sat next to Josh, but I sat on the third row and in the second row, just ahead of me was this beautiful blonde lady. And she was like, she was in, she was intense. Uh, she was paying attention to everything that was going on. She was laughing at the joke. And when she laughed, honestly, like I was, I was hooked whenever I saw her laugh and smile. At the end of the week, I introduced, I introduced myself. I, I reached out to her and we started a friendship. And that friendship grew. And it grew. And then we got married. And now we have three three beautiful kids that I, that I hope you get to meet while you're here. But relationships, they have starting points. And from there, they're developed. You grow. So whenever it comes to Jesus being introduced, you are being introduced into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So for every person here, there's one of two responses. Either one, it needs to begin, or two, it needs to be developed. It needs to grow. So my question for you this morning is, where are you at? Jesus is being introduced to you. What will you choose to do with that introduction? My hope is that if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that you'll receive him today. And that if you do know him, that you'll grow in following him and developing that relationship with him. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll close this message. Father, we love you and thank you uh, for your goodness and your grace in our lives.
Lord, at this time, as we consider who you are introduced to be. You are the deliverer. You are our rightful king. And you identify with us as our friend. And Lord, I pray that for any person today who has never been introduced to Jesus and who does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would receive the forgiveness of sins that you offer because of the cross. And Lord, I ask that our lives would be changed as we just grow in our relationship with you. Father, I pray that you take this time now and that you bless it and use it in Jesus' name. If you would please keep your heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. We're going to have a time uh, just to respond. So I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed to give those around you uh, just a moment of privacy to respond uh, without, uh, without feeling awkward. And I have just a couple of questions. I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard this morning. The first question I'd like to ask you is this. Maybe some of you would say, Pastor David, you talked about Jesus being the deliverer from sin and offering me forgiveness. And I have never, I have never received that forgiveness that Jesus offers. But I do want to know more about that. I do want to know more about that. Would you please raise your hand if you say, Pastor David, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't know for sure that I'm forgiven. I don't know for sure that I'm going to heaven. Uh, I don't know that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I want to know more about that. Would you please just take a moment and raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. I see those hands. In just a moment, we're going to have one closing song where we will have the time uh, where people can pray. You can pray down here at the altar. You can pray in your seat. And you can uh, take that time. Uh, or you can take the time to sing. But for those of you that have said, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior, and I don't know that I'm forgiven, uh, but I want to know more about that. We have several We have several leaders in the back of the room this morning who would love to take a Bible and answer any questions that you have. Uh, they're not going to they're not going to pressure you. They're not going to uh, but they're going to take the opportunity to answer any questions that you have. If that's something that you would like to know more about. And whenever we sing, we're all going to stand together and sing. If you would slip out of your seat and if you'd be willing to go talk to someone, they would love to show you from the Bible how you can know Christ as your Savior. And then for those of you who know Christ, for those of you who know Christ, could I ask what's the next right step that you could take to grow and develop that relationship with him? Let's pray one more time. We're going to stand together after I pray to sing. And if you don't know Christ and you'd like to talk to someone about receiving him today, then let me encourage you to step to the back and talk to, talk to one of our leaders who would love to show you and talk to you more about that. Lord Jesus, we 